Welcome to This Week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Well, John, the state is expected to release its health and safety guidelines for reopening schools any day now, but uh, some county offices of education haven't been waiting around, or at least one county did. Los Angeles County issued the most detailed recommendations so far in the state for social distancing and other measures to prevent the spread of the virus. Under their guidance, uh, students would wear masks and keep six feet apart at all times in classes and around schools. But that's been getting pushback from some of the 81 superintendents in the county who argue that the recommendations would be impractical. Actually, not only impractical, but would make opening schools unworkable. Yeah, all these precautions and these guidelines raise the issue of local control in the era of COVID-19. Who gets to call the shots over what's safe and what isn't? Whose responsibility is it to enforce the regulations? And, and they're learning issues too, Lewis. At a minimum, you know, what should be taught in school and through distance learning? Can schools shorten the year or can they go strictly online and not open up their schools at all? That's one of the issues that's being debated. Today, we'll explore the difficult balance between local and state authority, especially during a pandemic when these issues become more acute. Later in the podcast, we'll speak with Heather Huff of the research nonprofit PACE. and She believes the state should take a stronger role over how districts are meeting the, the learning needs of all their students. You know, during this pandemic, Governor Newsom has certainly endorsed the principle of local control, even though at times it seems like state regulations have undercut local control. But here's what he said just last week when talking about what should be done around summer schools and opening schools in general. Uh, The nature of our system that's so decentralized throughout the state of California. Not only are we 58 counties, 470, almost 480 cities, uh, but we're over a thousand school districts in the state of California. Uh, independently led with a deep appreciation and recognition that localism uh, is profound as much as it is pronounced. Uh, The LCFF process that was developed under the previous administration uh, went uh, very specifically uh, to this framework uh, and advanced that cause, uh, I think, in an appropriate way. So will the cause of reopening, recognizing that it's a bottom-up process, not a top-down process. Regardless of what the governor says, Lewis, there are tensions, particularly when the principle of local control is applied to health and safety considerations affecting all students in all districts. We're pleased to have with us today Alex Chernis. He's superintendent of the Palos Verdes Peninsula Unified School District, an affluent district along the coast in Los Angeles County. It gives you an idea of just how big L.A. County is. Welcome, superintendent. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. You authored a letter that was signed by you and 10 other superintendents out of the 80 or so in Los Angeles County, raising a lot of fundamental questions about what kind of prescriptions you should be subjected to by the state. Among the recommendations you made in this letter was that face coverings should be optional. You also argue that there should be reasonable efforts to space out students, but there shouldn't be a requirement to keep them six feet apart. You also objected to eliminating or prohibiting large gatherings in school districts, and instead you were arguing that you should be allowed just to make every effort towards reducing large gatherings. Now, as you know, the county did come out with its framework, but they were pretty clear that these are recommendations, not requirements. I'm wondering if you still have concerns. I absolutely have concerns. You know, the six feet apart is not a requirement for many businesses, 
It's not a requirement for airlines. It's not a requirement for taxis. And it shouldn't be a requirement for schools. It's very easy to put in writing to keep kids six feet apart. But the applicable nature and the reasonableness of that request is, quite frankly, ridiculous. Kids are going to congregate in close proximity. Um, small kids are going to go near their teachers. They're going to run around. They're going to be near their friends. We want to make reasonable efforts to space kids out. But this requirement would create a situation where we can only put eight to 10 kids in a class. So just to clarify, do you read what the county came out with as a requirement or just a recommendation? And the state has also not yet issued its guidance, so it's hard to know what it's going to say. Look, they may say it's guidance, but it's guidance from the CDC right now. It's guidance from the county. It's going to be guidance from the state. And none of it makes sense. And, you know, here's the issue that no one's really talking about. If districts have to adhere to these guidelines, which they're trying to do now, we're going to be sending kids to school once or twice a week. And what does that mean? It means parents are going to be home with their kids. And so how can parents go to work if their kids are at home half the week? And how do kids get a strong continuity of learning if they're coming to school every other day? So that's the unintended consequence of this issue. And so if you don't allow schools to reopen and allow kids to come to school every day with reasonable expectations for reasonable spacing, then we are not as a, as a society, as an economy, going to, to come out of this for, for a very long time. So is what is needed, superintendent, sort of a subtle massaging of a language? So, you know, you throw in a phrase like to the extent feasible or we encourage social distancing and we encourage masks but don't require it? Or is that sends the same message? I mean, what's wrong with that? Well, I think the mask issue is very separate. So let me first speak to the spacing issue. Reasonable spacing means that we can still run school and we can still have everybody that wants to come to school come to school. And those that don't, well, districts are going to have to set up distance learning for them. We're not forcing everybody to come to school. But if you come to school, we will make efforts to reasonably space kids so we can still have school every day. That would be the request. Whereas for, for face coverings, the issue, is, well, there's twofold. One is the practicality. You know, I have little kids myself. Kids aren't going to wear masks all day. They're just not. And so little kids will be pulling them off. You got to take them off to eat. Kids learn by, by talking and, and communicating and communicating with teachers and you won't be able to do that. So there's a practicality issue with face coverings that just doesn't make a lot of sense. There's also a cost issue with face coverings. And so we're talking about millions and millions of dollars per day throughout the state that we're going to be spending on face coverings. Where's that going to come from? We're already hearing from the state that they're going to be cutting our budget. So what we have here is an unfunded mandate for something that isn't really practical. Just to clarify, I mean, John was asking, let's say there was language that said, you know, to the extent feasible or make every effort, I mean, in terms of the spacing, would that satisfy your concerns? I think it would It would definitely lend itself to uh, more flexibility, yes. Or are you worried about liability? I think there's huge liability concerns among all school districts. You know, are we following the procedures right? You have all these guidelines. I mean, this is any lawyer can say, well, you didn't follow this guideline from this handbook that was given to you. So sure, there's there's huge concerns around that. Are you saying that under local control and with this document that says uh, the task force offers this framework as a guiding document for districts to exercise local control, 
that, that's what it says. That's not to say that the county health department may come up with something differently. But are you saying that with local control, you would open up your schools as they have been before with all students coming back, even high school and middle school? Or are you saying you would create some kind of social distancing and reduce the numbers? Yeah, I mean, I think it would absolutely not be like it was before. For one thing, when we surveyed our parents, we had over 25% of our parents that want to continue with distance learning. So we're already talking about less kids. We would make every effort to space kids out. We would make every effort to have increased hand-washing policies, procedures, sanitary areas, deep cleaning of spaces when they're not being used, deep cleaning of materials, potentially installations, plexiglass. You know, there's there's all kinds of things we would do to make things different. And, you know, I, I, I liken it to the airlines. You know, they're not required to keep kids six feet apart, keep people six feet apart for that matter, but they're still allowed to operate because it's just not reasonable. You can't on an airplane keep people six feet apart, so they're still allowed to run. Schools are the same way. It's not reasonable. We need to have reasonable expectations for our schools to reopen in a safe manner that will look different than it did before. The letter that you wrote and was signed by 10 other superintendents, that's only 11 out of 80 or so in, in the county. Do you feel it's representative of more than just the group of you? Do you think it's resonating elsewhere? And were you bothered that more superintendents didn't sign on if they have similar concerns? You know, I'm not bothered by it. I, I When I sent it out, I was comfortable being the only one on the letter. I feel real strongly about it. And we have a, quite a few parents in our community that feel strongly about it as well. So, um, you know, I was happy that we had as many as we did. Everybody's in a real difficult situation. We all want to provide a safe environment for our kids. But the interpretation of safe is what we're struggling with here. Presumably, these public health officials are basing their recommendations on health concerns. I mean, they're the health specialists as opposed to, you know, people who are not medical experts. Sure. And, you know, I'm not a medical expert. So uh, I'd like to see studies that, that, that have shown that kids six feet apart in schools support reduced transmission because I haven't seen one because there hasn't been one. But, uh, you know, that being said, you're right. I'm not a doctor. Uh, I'm trying to open schools so kids can come back to be learned, try to be as safe as possible and allow our families to get back to work. Well, on that note, thanks so much for joining us today. We've been talking with Alex Chernis, Superintendent of Palos Verdes Peninsula Unified School District. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. You know, John, that seemed like a tough position for the superintendent to take, to want to disregard the advice of local health officials. I mean, Governor Newsom has said he's differential to local control, but that means really taking into account local health conditions. At the same time, Newsom has put his foot into it a few times during the pandemic when it comes to schools. Uh, You may recall that he came out with a pronouncement that caught school district leaders flat-footed throughout the state when he said that schools should be closed through the end of the school year. That's what ended up happening. And then he also got a lot of blowback when he suggested that schools should come back early in late July or early August to deal with the whole learning loss issue. That really shocked the uh, superintendents, and then they uh, largely have ignored them since and have decided to open up when they feel it's appropriate. But another issue really is how much authority the state should be exercising over student learning to make sure that all districts are providing all students the opportunity to learn, which, as you know, courts have said is their right under the state constitution. 
Well, we're pleased to have with us Heather Huff. She's Executive Director of Policy Analysis for California Education, or PACE. It's a research and policy partnership with several major California universities. Welcome, Heather. Hi, thanks so much for having me, John. So, Heather, you have written extensively on what schools should anticipate on the return to school, and you testified this month before the Education Subcommittee of the Assembly Budget Committee, and you've written... The state can help by providing guidance and setting clear expectations, as well as offering flexibility around school calendars, seat time requirements, class sizes, and staffing models. So let's start there. What kind of guidance and clear expectations should the state be setting? Well, I think when we think about the kinds of guidance that the state should set for districts as we think about what kids need, it's really important to look at what happened this spring with the implementation of distance learning, or as some people refer to it, crisis schooling. What we saw in California across our 1,000 school districts is really wide variation in terms of the kinds of instructional opportunities that students received. We see that some schools were continuing to forge ahead as planned with new content, with grading, with lots of synchronous learning. And Heather, just to clarify, synchronous learning is when a teacher is talking directly to a student uh, through Zoom or something like that, right? That's right. Yeah. In some schools and districts, teachers and students are communicating directly, maintaining those relationships. We also saw that some schools and districts provided none of that advanced curriculum and very little direct one-on-one communications or small group instruction between teachers and students. So we've seen this extremely wide variation in terms of what students are getting. And when we look toward the fall, we need to make sure that that variation is reduced so that the kinds of things that we know students need to be able to keep learning, to maintain safety while continuing to be educated, that those things are established by the state and the flexibility is granted around how you do those things locally, but not whether you do those things. So Heather, could you be a little bit more specific? What are the general areas that you think the state should require each district to at least address when they're planning ahead for the fall? I think that because so much of what we've had in place before is changing, putting in place something like the local control accountability plan for crisis response could be really appropriate and actually asks the question to each district, how are you going to meet student need across these various areas? And some of those areas could be, how are you going to measure engagement and learning? How are you going to make sure that students with special needs, including students with disabilities, English learners, but also students who have been established are far behind academically, how are you going to make sure that they have the kinds of supports that they need, no matter what the design or physical structure of school is? And how are you going to monitor both classroom and school implementation of these learning plans? I think just the act of providing a framework and asking districts to write that out and to communicate that with their communities can be a really powerful force for both setting expectations, uh, but also asking districts to put a stake in the ground about what they're planning to do and how they know if what they're doing is working for kids. So you have talked about the need for perhaps the state to get involved in assessing 
what basic uh, learning loss is so that actually students just don't go back to school and the teachers don't really have a sense of what's been going on in the past six months. So you say there's a state role in that too, Heather? I think that's right. We don't know exactly right now what student need will be when students come back to school in the fall. There is research that's showing that the learning loss or how much of what they already learned they don't remember when they come back to school could put some students in some grades as far as a year behind where we would expect them to be. But because of the wide variation in what happened this spring, there could be students that are right on grade level. And then you add into the learning problem that some students in their homes are experiencing pretty serious trauma. They have housing or food insecurity. Um, They might, in the most dire cases, be struggling with issues of abuse or neglect. And so in addition to the learning loss, we also know that students will have social, emotional, and psychological needs. But the best way for both classroom teachers, but also school administrators, district administrators, and the state generally to know what those needs are is to assess them. And so we've recommended that the state develop and implement a statewide diagnostic assessment that does the work of understanding that student need at the state level so that we can use that at all of the levels to make decisions about curriculum and instruction, but also resource allocation. But Heather, I just want to press you on this issue of local control, which you know better than most is just really fundamental to how schools are operated in California. Well, actually in the whole country, but really affirmed here in California. So where do you draw the line, though, between what the state tells districts what to do and affirming the principle of local control at the same time? The ideas of local control and accountability are not inherently in conflict. And I don't think that they're in conflict in the way that we've developed many of our own state policy structures. We say districts are accountable for a certain type of outcome, and we're going to measure those and we're going to report those. And we give folks the flexibility to be able to decide how to do those things locally. Everything that we had built our systems around is now up in the air, right? We didn't do state testing. Students can't go to school, so their attendance isn't being measured. And things like suspension, all of the things that we measured, none of them apply anymore. So what we need to be asking is, what are the new things that we're measuring and discussing to hold people accountable? But what we can't let happen in the spring is to continue to see the types of variation that we've seen across the state in terms of what level of quality education students are receiving. We need to make sure that there are more assurances that every kid in California is continuing to learn in a really robust way as we head into this next phase. That was Heather Huff, Executive Director of PACE, Policy Analysis for California Education. Now, I'm just going to editorialize for a minute It just, to me, seems inevitable that during a pandemic where you have a health crisis, a health problem that's not confined to one particular area, I mean, this virus, it moves across continents, it moves across states, and it's certainly going to move across school district boundaries. So we can't leave everything up to the local school districts. It does seem to me that during a pandemic, such as the one we're experiencing, the state will inevitably have to exercise more control. And that will have to inevitably 
have some impact on this principle of local control. It can't overrule everything else. Well, Lewis, if you editorialize, I will do the same. And that is, I think what the superintendents are saying is that, you know, health officials may not know how to run a school and that schools can't be the perfect institution outside when businesses are opening up and we're going back to life as normal. I guess they're saying if you impose so many conditions, it will be very difficult for some schools to either open or stay open if a child happens to register as positive and all these other things and that this needs to be taken into consideration and somewhere along the line, I guess there's a balance. It does seem like what has happened in California around the virus is basically working, at least in terms of stemming the number of positive cases, the number of hospitalizations, the number of deaths, that we are far below the curve that one might have expected in a state this size. One thing we can agree on, Lewis, is that under local control, districts should learn from other districts and apply what others do well. This coming week, we'll be holding two hour-long webinars speaking with leaders from two very different districts that excelled in distance learning about what they did, lessons they learned, and their plans for the next stage this fall. We're calling it Distance Learning 2.0. On Tuesday, June 2nd at 1 p.m., we'll be speaking with Superintendent Michelle Rodriguez and Alvin Alcaraz, a principal at Pajara Valley Unified in Watsonville, about, among other things, how they will address learning loss for the most impacted students with a two-week jumpstart before the resumption of school. On Wednesday, June 3rd at 1 p.m., Anaheim Union High School District Superintendent Michael Matsuda and Assistant Superintendent Jaron Freed will discuss how distance learning is key to its re-envisioning education in a post-pandemic world. I'm really looking forward to the conversations, and you can register by going to our website. And that wraps it up for this week's podcast. Thanks to our sponsors, the S.D. Bechtel Jr. Foundation and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Our producer is Kobe McDonald. Our music is from Nate Schwartz Jazz Orchestra and its source's own Justin Allen. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Stay well. Stay safe. We'll be back next week. Thank you.